Welcome to episode 15 of the podcast, a show all about pets, veterinary medicine, and all things animal. I am Dr. Lauren, your host, veterinarian, internal medicine specialist, and animal lover. And I am her doting, loving, admiring (laughs) co-host and uh, husband of marital bliss, David Epstein. I'm an actor and a voice actor and an animal lover and uh, very happy to be co-hosting. He's acting really well right now because we got in a fight just before <laughs> this and he's pretending this like might, he doesn't want to kill for me. For all of you podcast podcast fans, this may be the last episode ever. So <laughs> depending on how this one goes, I may well, be fired we'll from the show. So. It'll depend on if David can turn his frown upside down. So on today's show, it's actually a pretty uh, cool show today. We're kind of focusing on the exotic theme. Um, We have a really cool news story from David that I'm excited to hear about penguins, something to do with penguins. Oh, yeah. Don't say any more. I'm not going to give anything else away. And then we are going to be talking to Dr. Rachel, the exotic pet vet, um, who is a friend of mine and also a social media maven for all things exotics. So exciting show coming up. But I think before we jump into David's story, we have some trivia to answer from last time. Um, I think the question was, most breeds of cat can jump up to what percentage of their height? Is it 1,500%, a 1,000%, 500%, or 100%? And the answer to that question is 500%. So basically, wow. five they can jump times five their, times their height. Which bad. like makes, I mean, if you think about it, like jumping up from the ground to the top of a cat tree or on top of a fence. like They got hops. Yeah. And I bet you there are some cats who can jump a thousand times their height. I mean, I've definitely seen, like there was that one cat in our neighborhood that like jumped the, the on true top athletes. of. Yeah. The awning of our next door. Yeah, like, that's right. Which was like insane. So that was the little tomcat that was going yeah. around for a while in Jersey. Taunting was, Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there are definitely probably, and then there's definitely some who can jump like way less, like maybe <laughs> the, the non-athletes. <laughs> the non-athletes. The non-athletes, but they're they're kind. They still, yeah, they're, they're kind. kind. <laughs> Sometimes maybe. Uh, okay, so in the news, the headline is orthopedic shoes find an unexpected owner. And this story takes us to San Diego Zoo, where a four-year-old penguin by the name of Lucas, great name for a penguin, um, was dealing with a case of something called bumblefoot. Have you heard of bumblefoot before? Yeah, it's something a lot of birds get. It's a lot of birds, yeah. yeah. So from what I understand, their feet get swollen, and then lesions come and, and become infected. And it was ultimately affecting his walk. Now, the saddest part about that is because he wasn't walking well, a lot of the penguins were just ignoring him and not socializing with him at all. So not only is his walk affected, but his friendships and his social life God, was that, as like, well. I mean, breaks your heart. Yeah, it breaks your heart. And it also like reminds you, it's just like human nature too. Mm-hmm. People are mean. People are mean. Penguins are mean. Penguins are mean. So enter Therapaw. Uh, now, this is a New Jersey company that specializes in boots and protective wear for animals. And zookeepers had Lucas walk on some sand and using his footprint in the sand, were able to get a, uh, a footprint mold where Therapaw created these fitted neoprene rubber boots with a padded sole. Aww. 
for him to walk in. And they had, had it black, so it looked like it was actually his feet. And he was walking perfectly after that. And they zookeepers were so thrilled because all the other penguins began to socialize with Lucas again. And he's even doing better than expected. And now he has a new girlfriend. That you added. I didn't. I no. didn't. That's in the article. No. That is in the article. That's really cute. Well, I guess that could be true because penguins are like one of the few like mates that mate for life. Mate for life, yeah. yeah. So who knows? Maybe this is his uh, his end of end of life gal. Oh, that's so cute. I mean, I think there's a lot of other species that like definitely we see it in dogs and cats like prosthetics. But I mean, I've I've heard of um, there was an elephant when I was in Calgary at the zoo that had like a prosthetic tusk and, mm. um, you know, a lot of prosthetic limbs and things like that. And rhino- rhinos with prosthetic horns that have been poached. So very cool. Yeah. So anyway, uh, props to Lucas and his New waddling and we style. We wish you well, Lucas. Look, yes. <laughs> when we come back, we're going to talk to Dr. Rachel Ellard, exotic pet vet. Stay tuned. Okay, well, we're back. We have Dr. Rachel. I think I used her previous name when I introduced her earlier in the segment, Ellard. She's now Dr. Rachel Sue. Congratulations (laughs) on getting married. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Rachel also goes as the exotic pet vet on social media. Um, She is a small animal and exotic veterinarian. She attended Texas A&M for vet school and currently practices in Dallas. She has over 650,000 followers on TikTok and 130,000 on YouTube. She's a big thing. Which is 130,000 more viewers than I have. Exactly. (laughs) Um, She's pretty much the go-to resource for super educational and cool videos for everything exotic. So thank you for coming on to our podcast. Thank you for the wonderful introduction. (laughs) I'm your pump-up girl. So (laughs) tell our viewers, what does it mean to be an exotic pet vet? Like, what's your day-to-day like? So I work with exotic pets. Um, A lot of people don't realize that it's not just uh, birds and reptiles, but it's also the small furry creatures. You know, in veterinary medicine, rabbits and ferrets and guinea pigs are also considered exotic. Um, but I also work with a ton of birds, um, poultry too, not just parrots, um, and then lots of lizards and snakes. So everything's a every every day is a new day whenever I go into work. And I love the uh, the the. I don't know if it's like a is it a faux pas term in the exotic world, but like pocket pets, like the little hamsters and gerbils and stuff. Yes, I, I mean I call them pocket pets. Yeah. And a lot of other exotic pets or vets do. <laughs> so cute. So what are the, what is the most common animal that you'll work with? You know, I would say it's pretty evenly split between like, you know, 30% uh, birds, 30% pocket pets, and then 30% reptiles. So cool. I, I, I don't know if that I, I'm the biggest, like, I, I think birds kind of scare me a little bit. But as I told you when you came to visit me here, I do really like, like snakes. I think they're so cool. And if I know Lauren you have- just wants to have babies, so she has an excuse to get our child a snake when really I well, know. Well, Rachel, just... how many snakes do you have personally? I only have two right now. Okay, two right only now. Two. <laughs> only two. <laughs> but they're very cool. So tell us about like, so what are some of the more common disorders you might see those those species for? So a lot of uh, exotic pets come in due to disorders or diseases caused by poor husbandry. Um, but then there's some other, you know, common things that affect, uh, that, that affect each different species. 
Um, so, you know, with birds, with parrots, you see a lot of feather picking, a lot of obesity actually due to poor diet. Um, a lot of people feed their their parrots a full feed diet, which is like feeding them candy. And they also get, you know, heart disease from this. Um, we also see egg binding, uh, especially with, you know, chickens, um, bumblefoot, which is, you know, when they have, uh, you know, sores on their feet. Um, with snakes uh, and lizards, we see a lot of respiratory infections, mouth rot, you know, trouble with shedding, um, a lot of metabolic bone disease in, in lizards, unfortunately. And that's um, usually and like, to, like dietary imbalances, right? Yes, yeah, so metabolic bone disease will happen um, because of either improper UVB lighting or not supplementing enough calcium. And basically their bones become, you know, really weak and rubbery because they have no calcium or they can't metabolize it. Um, so that's pretty commonly caused due to, to husbandry, unfortunately. Um, and then with our, you know, pocket pets, we see a lot of dental disease because their teeth are always growing. Uh, we see some parasites, you know, ringworm and mite, um, you know, and respiratory infections, um, you know, reproductive and, you know, problems. So uh, those are, you know, some pretty common things that we deal with. So a variety of, of different things. And it sounds like, I mean, she kept referring to husbandry. Yeah, well, we you know were just what, talking David, about. David, do you know what husbandry No, means? I was just talking about how Lauren and I got into <laughs> oh. a nice fight on the way over here. So I thought I was bad husbandry. But I, <laughs> I, I, what yeah, what exactly is that? So husbandry is basically how you take care of the pet. You know, what what is their diet? What is their enclosure, their housing like? Um, you know, their their supplements, their lighting, um, you know, just their, how you interact with them. It's, it's kind of an uncomfortable term for you know, how you take care of them. Okay. And I think a lot of, I mean, a lot of the diseases that Rachel deals with are a function of people, you know, not necessarily maliciously, but really just not knowing how to properly take care of exotics. Because, I mean, honestly, mm-hmm. compared to dogs and cats, there's so much more that goes into taking care of exotics, like, mm-hmm. and keeping them not just alive, but in good health. Like anyone can feed their cat or dog some food. It might not be the best quality, but they're probably going to do okay. But like if you have a, you know, a reptile and you don't know how to take care of it, things can go wrong really fast. Sorry to interrupt you there, Rachel. What, what is the big difference then from, from working with exotic animals versus cats and dogs? Oh, I just, I think there's, you know, like I said, there's such a variety and the fact that each one is different. So with dogs and cats, you know, there's pretty much, you know, everyone knows how to take care of them and it's pretty straightforward. And, you know, there's diets that are for dogs and cats and they live at room temperature and you interact with them. But for exotics, it's like each one is different. You really need to know for each species, you know, what temperature do they live at? What is their specific diet? Um, you know, what is their, are their specific lighting requirements? You know, you know, dogs and cats don't require specific light, but, you know, reptiles, they need UV light, or a lot of, some species of reptiles need UV light in order to survive. So you need to really know the, the specific requirements for each individual species, which can make it, you know, hard to be an exotic pet veterinarian. Yeah, it's like a lot of detail. I mean, even I remember in vet school, well, the exotics course, like, yeah, I just remember memorizing like millions of facts because I was like, oh my God, how am I going to remember all this? But we also mm-hmm. had to like take home different exotic pets. That was part of our like learning and understanding, which mm-hmm. in hindsight, I don't know was the best idea because they probably don't do well with traveling to different houses. <laughs> but <laughs> I do remember like I had like sugar gliders in my mm-hmm. living room and I was like, 
holy, like, I, like to take care of them is just so detailed. They had this like giant list of things and they were like, yeah, no, they're, no. One of the <laughs> they're one of the easiest. No, they are. Oh. So no, they are. Yeah. Not one that I wouldn't want to learn on. <laughs> <laughs> and they were in my living room. I remember. Oh my gosh. And they were just like, they're like nocturnal. Right. So they were, mm-hmm. I think they were, I think they were making babies in my living room all night because <laughs> I was kept up and my cat was like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 They did. I think they ended up having babies by the end of the year. So somewhere along the way, they, <laughs> I don't think I took them out of the enclosure though. Cause I was terrified. <laughs> Yeah, no, they're they're not, you know, the easiest to take care of or the easiest to work with for, you know, as, as a vet. <laughs> for sure. So what, like, you know, what are the most common mistakes that you see pet owners making? Like that, the reason why you see pets over and over again that you wish you could just say, don't do this. Well, com- you know, the most common thing is just people not doing their research before, you know, they, they buy their, their pet, you know, um, them not having the proper, you know, uh, the proper enclosure, proper diet. Um, and a lot of people, you know, they buy these pets for their kids because they think, oh, they're easy to take care of or they're small and they're cheap and, you know, the, the, the kid can take care of everything. And a lot of people, you know, they don't monitor their kids as far as if are they taking care of the pet right. And so they bring them in and they're on death's door because they just weren't being given the attention or the, you know, oversight that they really should have. Um, so yeah, we, we, we see a lot of people bringing in their exotic pets because they think they're easy, but they're, they're really not. Mm-hmm. They, they make mistakes when it comes to taking care of them, unfortunately. Yeah. So do your research. I mean, I think it's such a, oftentimes for people, such a spontaneous decision. They're at the pet store and they see, like you said, they're not expensive, but mm-hmm. to keep them alive, you have to be very knowledgeable. Yes. Yes. Unfortunately they are, um, often bought on a whim with, you know, and the pet stores want to do a great job at, at teaching owners either when they buy them. And, um, yeah, yeah, unfortunately they just, people, people aren't doing it too malicious, but they just aren't informed as much as they should be when making such a big decision as, you know, getting a pet. And so maybe like, like, would you suggest if someone were to go out and get one of these exotics, booking an appointment with their veterinarian to go through all the specific requirements that that pet needs? Oh, 100%. I always say, you know, bring your pets in for wellness visits, bring them in as soon as you buy them. So you know, you know exactly what you're getting into. And, um, you know, we can walk you through the husbandry that we recommend and make sure that they're healthy from the get go. Because a lot of people buy these pets and they're sick to begin with because they, they hide signs of illness so well, that it's really easy to, you know, be sold them when you don't really when, when you know, you think that they're healthy, but they're really not. And um, it, it causes a lot of heartbreak when, unfortunately, they don't do well. Um, and one thing with exotic, you know, medicine is that unfortunately, we do deal with a lot more deaths um, than dogs and cats, uh, because they, they just don't get brought in until they're really on death's door a lot of times. And they're just so fragile. So uh, they're, they're, there's a lot of, um, unfortunately, euthanasias that happen or, you know, they pass away due to poor health. health. And even just like the stress of handling, like you said, they hide things so well. And I remember learning like a bird comes in, like, I mean, you touch a bird the wrong way, it like, <laughs> it can stress, <laughs> you know, so if they're already Yeah, they're like sick. horses, you know, they just, they, they don't do well. They get stressed so easily um, and, and they, they hide signs of illness, you know, they're often 
they look they look healthy on the outside, but then they're unhealthy on the inside, and just a little bit of stress can unfortunately tip them over the edge. Yeah. Well, this actually it was a, uh, leads into a great listener question that we had for you, which was, what is the hardest exotic pet to work with? You know, a lot of people are afraid of working with birds for that reason. And there's, some people prefer big birds and some prefer smaller birds. Um, the difference, you know, obviously the bigger birds are a little bit more stable. They're just, you know, bigger and can handle anesthesia a little bit better. Um, but they're also really scary for some people to work with. Like the really big macaws, they can hurt you. Um, you know, the but the really tiny birds, although they, you know, they don't necessarily, you know, bite as hard and can't draw as much blood. They're also a lot more fragile and even drawing blood, you know, you can't take as much blood from them. The amount that you can really draw from them to run any type of blood work is almost, you know, a lethal dose if you were doing a budgie, like a parakeet. Um, so it's, they're a lot more fragile under anesthesia and just, you know, handling them. Um, so yeah, that's, the birds are pretty challenging, I would say. Um, unless, you know, chickens, I, I really like chickens because they're, they're pretty, they're pretty hardy pets. And what about like, are, is there any exotic that you're scared of? Cause I know you work with lots of these, you know, exotic animals. So are there any of them that you're scared of? Like, I know a lot of vets are like scared of snakes. So <laughs> oh, I love snakes and, and honestly, their bites are nothing compared to dogs and cats. Like I always say, I'm more scared of dogs and cats than they are really any exotic because, you know, you probably know that their bites are just filled with bacteria and they can really hurt you um but you know snakes you know the smaller snakes their bites are just like nothing like they barely drop blood they barely get infected because they don't have much bacteria in their mouth so i love snakes compared to you know or i i'm not scared of them as much as i am of you know fractious you know dogs and cats um but you know as far as are there any exotics that i'm scared of you know monkeys can be um pretty scary if they're not you know one trained well and then two just the the diseases that they carry are way more, you know, dangerous to people just because they're close, more closely related to us. Do you get a lot of monkeys that come in? Not often, but, but every now and then we do. Yeah, I worked at uh, like a primate research center in vet school and they were macaques. So oral, old world Oof. monkeys, which can have yeah. herpes B virus. And like, if you get infected with herpes B virus, virus it can be very fatal and so I was yeah. terrified that we had to like wear these hazmat suits double glove like mm-hmm. and I remember one time I was helping with like a birth and the little baby like somehow got its little hand underneath my like hazmat suit and I was like freaking out because I was so scared of herpes B virus yeah I mean for good reason you know they they're serious um so you know we don't see primates very often uh, but unfortunately, they are legal to own in Texas, and people get them. So, and you know, they don't make good pets. I don't recommend them, but we do see them because they they need care. You know, no one else is going to see them. I feel uh, like but, in you know, Texas, some- yeah, like Texas. I feel like in terms of like what's legal to own, <laughs> I feel like of all the states, you probably have like the craziest laws. There, there's like no law. Yeah, you can own anything. I mean, you could uh, own venomous snakes. You can own primates. You can own tigers. You know, it's it's really you know sad what you know people can do you know without any regulation. So and you do you ever tigers, see big cats? Yeah. Like you'll you'll get that coming in on a, a regular basis. Tiger king. No, style. I mean we we see what get through the door, and tigers are not something that you know we we will see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's I mean, probably we, you're like we draw the line. 
Yeah, yeah, we, we do see some of the smaller exotic cats, you know, like like servals or, um, you know, the hybrids. Um, we'll see those. I mean, I even see, I have a patient that's a serval. Because here, oh, nice. yeah, I mean, kind of, but it's terrifying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I work with her. She had kidney failure and I have to see her. And when she comes in, we have to basically sedate her through her muscle because she, you know, she, she's feisty. <laughs> she was hospitalized for two weeks and she only let me and my technician go into her little quarters. Everyone else was like terrified. Wow. Yeah, but she... Yeah, yeah so this can be challenging. Yeah. Okay, I, I this is a very random thing to bring up, but this was just sent to me right before you got on the line, and I want to determine if you think there's any truth in this. So it's a text message, and it says, My sister's a veterinary student. A little girl brought her a hamster because it hadn't moved for three days and just sat on the outside of the cage, wouldn't eat or drink anything. Do you know where I'm going with this already? Have you seen this? I do. This? Yes, I've heard it. Okay, I'll finish this for the listeners, and then I want to hear your, you chime in. So she asked her if anything had happened that may have caused this to, to be the case, and the girl said it escaped for a couple days, but they found him underneath the fridge. So they took a look at the hamster. They put him on the table, and he's walking around, eating, drinking, seems to be completely fine. Um, at that point, they noticed there's something strange in his cheek pouch to notice that, yes, indeed, he had eaten a fridge magnet. So it turns out the only thing wrong with the hamster was that there was a fridge magnet in his cheek and he was stuck to his metal cage. Do you think there's any truth in that? Honestly, I, I could believe something like that happening. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's not completely unbelievable. It would take a lot, like a very strong magnet. Uh, but, you know, they they say that hamsters die in the most traumatic ways, <laughs> unfortunately. There's there's a TikTok, uh, I guess, trend going on where people just say, like, how their hamster died they oh, say that hamsters oh, no. die traumatically, unfortunately. <laughs> oh my God, um, that's such a sad trend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but they just, you know, people get them and they they get out of their enclosures and they, they find ways to unalive themselves. <laughs> well, during that time that I had to take the pets home, I did have to take a hamster home. And it was one of the ones that I was like, okay, maybe I'll interact with this one. Like, I'm okay. And I opened up its little cage and I put my finger in to say hi to it. And he like freaking latched onto my finger yeah. so hard. And then obviously my gut reaction is to like pull my mm -hmm. hand out and he was still attached. <laughs> so he like flung across my bedroom. And then I was yep. like, I can't be the vet student who lost the hamster. So I'm like scrabbling <laughs> to try and get him. And then I did get him. Like I managed to get him in like a little cup and put him back in. And that was the last time I like opened the ca the cage except for to feed him. Yeah. I mean, some hamsters are really nice, but some of them are not worked with a lot. So they can be pretty feisty. Yeah. Um, they're not like the first choice pocket pet that I would recommend. Yeah. Uh, well, we were talking just the last question before we go. Um, we were talking about your amazing uh, social media presence. You've got a lot of viral videos online. Which video for you has garnered the most attention? You know, I, I would say people love the popping videos. You know, the abscesses uh, just really, really get people excited. Yeah. Um, I have a, a box turtle video where, you know, turtles get oral abscesses sometimes, which means not abscessing their ear canal. Um, and we lanced it and it was, all the pus came out and it, people really enjoyed that. You know, I, I like the, the abscess videos too. I think they're really fun 
they're gross, but they're also satisfying. Yeah. People yeah. like the grossest stuff. Like for me, people always like my, you know, pulling things out of dogs, your abscesses. Mm-hmm. I also really like your videos that are uh, the digesting, you you digest skeletons too with uh, yes. those are cool. I have a experimented beetle colony and um, these are the beetles that clean specimens for, you know, museums, you know, skeletons. And uh, I, I clean a couple, you know, uh, specimens such as snakes or turtles or or, or, you know, some skulls, and, uh, you know, they're, they're pretty satisfying to watch, you know, to just be cleaned very cleanly, um, and it, to me, it seems like it's kind of like a work of art at the end. Oh, yeah, it's so cool, the time-lapse. I love your videos like that. Well, oh, thank you. if you want to check out Rachel's videos, definitely check her out, Exotic Pet Vet. She's all over social media, literally, like, the coolest stuff, everything exotic. Thank you so much for coming onto our show and telling us and our listeners all about your life as an exotic pet vet. And maybe sometime we can have you back and talk about some things, you know, more specifically and more details, certain species. Oh, yes, I'd love to. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks, Rachel. Mm -hmm. Bye. So we're back. And I think, as per usual, we're going to finish up with some trivia. That was, that was awesome talking with Dr. Yeah. Sue. She was amazing. Yeah, she's great. She's she's awesome. I mean, her social media videos are just next level. That abscess video, yeah, I've watched it like 20 times. Okay. I don't know what they are, but I <laughs> I know what I'm jumping into It's like afterwards. Pimple Popper for turtles. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, well, we'll end this with a little uh, trivia for the, for the folks uh, listening at home. Question for y'all: What animal? I know, yeah, it rubbed off on you. (laughs) Which animal has to eat upside down? A. A flounderfish. B. A sloth. C. A vampire bat. Or D. A flamingo. Hmm. I do not know the answer to this one. Just thinking of it. Well, upside down eating. Yeah, just tune in for the next uh, episode, and you might just find out. That's it for today's episode of the podcast please remember to subscribe and download our podcast wherever you get your podcasts pod podcast podcasts <laughs> um or follow us on youtube uh i'm dr lauren i'm david and, and this, this is, is the, the podcast, podcast. Wow. is that your serval noise yeah something like that <laughs>